Well, we are finishing off our series on the seven final sayings of Jesus when he died upon the cross. Last week, we were looking at, or I wasn't here, but I know you were looking at when Jesus said, it is finished. And uh, the Greek word for that is, the price is paid in full. And it was Jesus declaring after all of the wrongdoing of the whole world since the beginning of creation to the end of every wrong thought, wrong deed, wrong word being poured into Jesus' body and him taking the consequence, the separation of the things that we've done wrong so that we can be forgiven and reconciled back to God. And he was our substitute. And when Jesus had fully paid that price on our behalf, never doing anything wrong himself, but when he had fully paid the price, he declared, it is finished. The price has been paid in full so that as we turn to him, just like the dying thief turned to Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, Lord, even though I am on this cross because I'm a criminal, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. The thief turned to Jesus, and Jesus turned to him and offered him forgiveness because the price was paid in full. And then the next thing he said is the final thing we're going to look at today and in this series. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus had finished his work. He'd finished his ministry. Everything that God had put him on the earth as a human being to do, he had completed it fully. And he'd finished everything from the time he was tested in the wilderness, when he went into the wilderness and he said he was tested there. Having fasting for 40 days, it says the devil came to test him and he tested his identity. If you're the son of God, turn this bread into stone. Two tests there. One is identity and secondly, to use his power for a self-serving purpose. And he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, listening to God, trusting what God says, and putting into practice. That's what we live on. That's the thing that sustains us and gives us life, not bread. And when he trusted God in his word and for his future, his life, his purpose, identity, he came out of the wilderness in power, it says, and he preached the kingdom and he performed the signs of the kingdom of God, performing miracles. And after finishing the work on the cross and taking the weight of the penalty of our wrongdoing, now Jesus, in his final few moments, has one more test. And would he be faithful to it. Despite everybody forsaking him, despite the fact that seemingly his father had forsaken him when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Despite all of his enemies and persecutors and accusers, through the false trial to the scourging to the crucifixion to the torment of the torture and the physical abuse he went through, 
to the soul agony, the physical agony, those who he had arrested him, basically giving him hell on that cross, as they both tormented him verbally and tortured him physically, despite the intolerable suffering in that moment of death, would he still trust his father? Would he still, in total weakness and agony and human helplessness, give himself over to the hands of his God, his Father in heaven. So let's look at the context together and see Jesus' response. It says, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit or I trust my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. You know, there's a theme, if you read through the scriptures from the beginning to the end, there's a theme in the scriptures that sometimes you can miss, but it's there consistently, and it's the theme of testing or being tested. And God uses challenging circumstances, difficult circumstances, trials, temptations, difficulties, as a test for us. Now, let me explain what we mean by that, what a, a Bible test is. God is not setting up bad things to happen to test us, just to see how we'll deal with this difficult circumstance. No, the thing is, we, life is, is a difficult walk. We all go through difficult challenges. We're living in a broken world. It's a fallen world. It's not as God originally designed. It's messed up since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden that speaks and represents how we turned our back on God and selfishness and brokenness has come into the whole world. And so life is tough and it's disappointing and we can get wounded and we can find ourselves in difficult challenges and trials. It's not like God is putting those trials there, but we're going to experience them. But... He sees those trials as an opportunity for us to grow, find freedom, mature, grow in faith, grow in confidence, and become whole as human beings. Those trials don't have to destroy us. So just as we heard this morning, or we sang about it actually, all things work together for the good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. Somehow, God can take these difficulties, and if we respond correctly to them, he can use them and turn them out for our well-being. So this is the definition or the nature of what we call a Bible test. It's not like a test you go to school, pass or fail. It's, it's an opportunity. So James says, count it all joy. 
when you go through various trials, tests, and temptations. Because it's an opportunity for your faith to be purified that you may become mature, you may grow, you may become a whole human being. And then it goes on to say this really interesting bit at the end, that you may lack nothing. That you may lack nothing. That you may come into blessing and quality of life. So God uses these challenges to grow us, to help us, to change us, to mature us, and they're like transformational opportunities. So sometimes when we think of the word test, we can, we can look at it in a wrong context, but actually a biblical test is something very, very positive. And a biblical test or a trial or a difficulty reveals what's in our hearts. It's a little bit like testing metal. You have a, a metalsmith and they will test the metal. They'll put it under stress and it will produce all the impurities. So it'll come to the surface and they can be skimmed off that the, the metal may be pure and even more valuable and useful. And so these tests reveal what's in us. They're a test that give us an opportunity to trust God and what he says to overcome our sin, our selfishness, our self-doubts, and to be transformed into God's likeness and restored into his image. To find life, not death. Freedom, not bondage. Rest, not striving. Peace, not worry. And in those tests, the secret to them is the choice that we make. And as we respond correctly, God can use it powerfully for our good. And the response is, is simple. To trust God, not reject him. To trust what he says and his wisdom. To trust and not blame. To trust and not be angry or rebellious or blame God or blame others. And there's trust throughout the Bible, like from the beginning of Adam and Eve when God said, don't eat that tree, which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that represents, it says, taking knowledge and good and evil and defining the terms of how life works from our own understanding alone. But trust me, and you will have the tree of life, which comes from his wisdom and his presence. Or whether it's a trust of Abraham and Sarah who were the founder of the Hebrew nations and who Jesus came through and now we're a part of their history. And Abraham and Sarah were well in their 70s and 80s and they didn't have a child and God said, if you trust me, I will give you a child. And they believed God, but over the course of time, there was a test, their test was time. And time went on, and when they were in the 90s, they still haven't had this baby that they believed God said he would give, and through them would be the blessings of the nation, and Jesus would come. And at the age of 90, Sarah said this to Abraham, take my slave girl or slave woman and have a baby through her. And they, she failed to pass, and they failed to pass the test of time when it was a long time coming and a long time waiting. And if only they'd waited, the baby would have been born, it was eventually, but they wouldn't have had all the family torment and heartache that came through dysfunctional family through doing it the wrong way. 
And then when God delivered Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh and they went into the wilderness and God had promised that he would give them a land of milk and honey with crops that they hadn't even worked for and they would be provided for everything they need in the wilderness, they came three days and they'd run out of water. And they were thirsty and they came to a place called Mara, which, and there was a well there and they went to drink it, but it was called bitter and bitter means Mara, Mara means bitter and they couldn't drink it, it was basically it was poisonous. And they complained to Moses. And they said, we can't drink this. And they began to buckle under the pressure of that test and took their eyes upon the promise. And then at that situation, God said to Moses, um, take a piece of wood from a tree, throw it into the well or the where the waters were. And he did that. And the bitter waters became fresh and life-giving. Now that speaks of what God can do in our bitter situations that can become very destructive. And it speaks of Jesus dying on that wood, on that tree, taking up all the bitterness and engaging with the bitterness and the bitterness being applied to the cross and the cross to the bitterness. And as a result of that, we find mercy and forgiveness and new life in Christ. And as that wood was thrown into the water, And they drank from it, and God applied himself into their bitter situation. That which caused bitterness, destruction, and death became life-giving. And that's what he can do in our circumstances. That's what tests can do for us. They can transform something which is destructive into something that is life-giving. It's only out of our relationship with God that works. Any other circumstances, it's all downhill. But God is, we call him, a redeemer. He changes the situation. He turns what can be destructive into something that is life-giving. Because he's greater than it all. And so God said to Moses in this situation, there the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction for them, and he put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, keep all his decrees, I'll not bring on any of you the diseases of Egypt, for I am the Lord who heals you. If you you trust me, that which can be destructive like a disease can be turned into something that is life-giving. That's the whole reason why Jesus came, to give us life, to turn our darkness into light, our mess-ups into mercy, our bondage into freedom, our death into life, our separation into relationship, our mourning into joy. They moved on. I'm just showing you there's a, there's a lot of tests, you see. They moved on, and then they become not thirsty this time, but hungry in the wilderness. And would they trust God's word and rest in his promise that he would care for them? No, they turned to uh, Moses and said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We sat round there with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. 
They were being tested. And the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven. And the people were to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them, he says. He'll test them to see whether they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare, to prepare what they bring in. And, uh, um, and that it's to be twice as much that they gathered on the other days. So here's what happened. Every day, they were instructed to take an omer. That's about three pounds worth of manna, food. The word manna in Hebrew means, what is it? Because they looked at this, what is it? Because they'd never seen it before. It was like bread coming down from heaven. What's this? But God sent them food. And they're supposed to take three pounds worth for each person of the family every day. And on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much, two omers, that's six pounds, two omers for each person because they weren't to work on the seventh day because it was to rest, to trust him. Now, this is what happened. Some people gathered um, an omer, but they didn't actually eat it all. They kept a little bit, you know, or they they gathered too much, actually. Some people gathered too much. And the bits that they didn't eat the following day were full of maggots and worms. Disgusting. So they failed the test. But then some people on the sixth day, they actually didn't gather enough. And they went out on the seventh day because it always goes mildy. But they went out on the seventh day and there was nothing there for them. But the, but the amount that they doubled up on the sixth day Not like the other five days, it wasn't moldy or maggoty. So the circumstances changed a bit, but it was all about trust. Will they listen? Will they learn to trust me? And as we read through the scriptures, we see that just like human nature is, just like your nature and my nature, they failed at every turn. And even when it came to the promised land and they were at the Jordan River and all they had to do was cross over They didn't go in because the giants are too big and the fortified cities are too strong and the armies are too great and we're like grasshoppers in their sight and they didn't go over and they failed to trust that God would give them the land. Jesus, in his life, as our representative, went through the same tests He went into the wilderness. There were times when he thirsted. It says on the cross, I thirst. He was tested at every point and every turn. And yet he proved himself faithful. It says in Hebrews, speaking about Jesus, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and the one who is holy are of the same family. Now here's an interesting thought. How could Jesus be made any more perfect than he is? He was sinless, he was God's son, he was God in the form of a human being. How could he be any more perfect than he was? But he says he was made perfect through his testing, through what he suffered. No, it doesn't mean that he was made more sinless, morally perfect. 
it speaks out that he actually learnt the journey of trust and faith in his father as a human being just like any one of us. And he did it perfectly so that you and I could have an example to follow. He was the example. He was the pioneer. He says, this is the way to trust God. Follow me. Do it like I am. I'm not drawing upon my divine power here. I'm living as a human being just as you do. And I'm going through the tests and the struggles and the temptations and the difficulties just like you is. And I'm going to, I'm going to model for you how to trust in God despite it all seemingly going wrong. And how to come through the other side free, full of life. That's what he was doing for us. He was the author, the pioneer, the example of our faith. And he did it for us. So now we see Jesus living his whole life going through tests and trials. Even as a child, it says Jesus went home and was obedient to his parents. Now that was a test. I might have been a test for his parents, but I bet you it was a test for, for Jesus. Because remember this. No parent is perfect. No parent is sinless. No parent makes every decision right. No parent is patient all the time. No parent ever loses their rag. That would be true for Mary and Jesus, uh, Joseph. But Jesus learned to be obedient to them when he even knew that they were in the wrong. <laughs> now that's a test for every child, isn't it? But it says he was obedient to his parents. Whew. Well, I know I failed that one. Here's the thing. He'd been through the whole gamut. He'd done life. He'd passed the test. And now here was his final test. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I trust my spirit. He declared trust and faith in God's goodness and faithfulness to the very end. Despite his circumstances, humanly disastrous. I mean, he was on that cross. He'd been rejected. It was all humanly going wrong. But he said, I commit my hand into your spirit. Now he's quoting Psalm 31. Let's read it together. This is Psalm 31. And this is what he would have had in mind. He'd been rejected, tortured, punished, not feeling the presence of his father anymore because of the separation that sin brought in his humanity. He says, this is Psalm 31. This is what he had in mind. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Never let me put to shame. He was experiencing shame on that cross. He was hung naked. Nakedness is a symbolic sign in the Bible of shame. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says they, sinned, they felt their shame, so they covered it up with fig leaves. He was hanging there before the whole world, naked, a criminal's death, guilty in the eyes of the world. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly and rescue me. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock, he's declaring, despite all this, he's going to trust in him. 
You are my rock, my fortress. For the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set before me. He's just about to be plunged into the jaws of death. This is his very last words. He's now giving up his spirit. These words, his breath is coming, his spirit is coming out of him with these words. Father, I give up my spirit. And then he says he breathed and he died. His last dying seconds. Keep me free from the trap that is set before me. You are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me from death. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. There's nothing I can do. It's gone past the 11th hour. It's now the 12th hour. It's noon. And it says it's all gone black. The sun stops shining. Every circumstance in nature... Human, relationally, spiritually, everything was turned against him. What was he going to do? The final and great test. What was he going to do? He trusted and believed his father's promise that he would be raised from the dead. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. The son learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect and became, as a result of that, the source of eternal life for all who obeyed him. He went our way so that we could follow in his wake. Jesus lived by faith, not circumstance, not sight, trusting in God, just like you and I are called to do, but he did it first. It says the Son of Man, he said this to Peter, the Son of Man must be delivered into sinners to be crucified. And on the third day, he'd be raised. So when he says, I commit my hand into your spirit, I'm still trusting you. It's past the 11th hour. It's all gone wrong. I can't even see because the sun's not shining. I'm in absolute torment and agony. I know I'm going to leave this body. My spirit, I've committed into your hand. There's nothing more I can do but I trust that you'll raise me on the third day. I trust that you'll be good to your promise. I'm not looking for an 11th hour deliverance. I know that you will do it in your appointed time and appointed way. And Jesus' life mirrored the life of Israel in the wilderness all the way through to the promised land of his resurrection. And where Israel failed, where you failed, he succeeded. And God's dealings with humanity and mankind of teaching us to trust him, trust his word, live by faith, doesn't change. So whether we like it or not, and there's so much of it, you know, I'd rather skip round, we can't avoid the tests. But they are an opportunity, if we see them right, to grow in trust and to see our hearts and lives transformed. And God uses them to prepare us and equip us for our future promise that he has, not just in this life, but in the life to come, where we rule and reign with Christ and we're a part of his family. 
And it's all about attitude, you know. So when Israel didn't get into the promised land the first time round because they just wouldn't trust, and they complained and grumbled and blamed, and sat down in a sulk, and took their ball and went home, because they couldn't get their own way, and it wasn't working out the way they wanted. But Joshua and Caleb had a different attitude and said, no, we can do it. And they were despair. They said, no, come on, we can do it. But God says, none of them will go into the promised land because they didn't trust, except Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they had a different attitude. They had a different attitude. And this is what I want to encourage you today. Take on a different attitude. The attitude that Christ had, the attitude that Joshua and Caleb had, this attitude that says this in Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. It might be going wrong, might be tough. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rescue, uh, my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. This is speaking prophetically about Jesus and our resurrection through f- and, and eternal life and the joy of heaven for our trust in Christ. My body will not stay in the realm of the dead. You will not see your faithful one remain in decay. So Jesus prays, knowing this psalm speaks of him. And it also applies to us through faith in Christ. He prays this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He prayed this prayer of ultimate commitment and trust and faithfulness to God the Father's care. And at the end of his life, and in the most terrifying and horrific of circumstance, he did it, and he did it because it was his life's pattern. He didn't get to the end of his life and suddenly, out of the blue, muster up the courage and faith to do this. No, he had learned to trust in the Father from the cradle to the grave. That's what we're called to do. You see, every test you go through, every difficulty, and no test that you go through will be beyond your ability to cope with it and come through it. But as you respond, you grow in faith, you grow in freedom, you're transformed, you're renewed, you become a different person. You get healed and renewed. It's life-giving, and it doesn't have to be so. Your bitterness gets turned into refreshing life. Every day, but we, it, it just doesn't fall out of the sky in one moment. We grow in it. And that's why it says in the Bible, we are changed from one degree of glory into another. As we what? gaze upon Jesus, I fix my eyes up you. The author of our faith. And so Jesus lived a total life of trust. And my question to me, and my question to you, and all of us listening online today, is will we live a life of trust and faith? And what, what, what does it look like practically? Okay, let's look at some of Jesus' teaching. This is what it looks like as we begin to close this message this morning. It looks like this. Don't worry about what you need. How am I going to pay for this? And how am I going to feed myself? And what am I going to wear? Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat and wear. Seek first the kingdom of God 
Trust God, your Father will provide what you need. That's what it looks like on a Monday morning. Don't worry about what you need. Trust the Father, do what he says. Don't repay evil for evil. When somebody hurts you, wounds you, don't smack them back. Don't do it. Rather, repay evil for good. That takes faith. It takes faith not to protect yourself and smash back. I'm not talking about drawing a line if somebody's abusing you and taking you for granted, but I'm talking about smacking back. I'm not talking about protecting yourself. It takes faith to do that. Everything within us wants to hit back. Give, and it will be given. It takes faith to give and be given back, especially when you don't think you've got much. It takes faith. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Oh, forgive, them. they've hurt me so much. Forgive, and it takes faith to forgive. Love, and pray for your enemies. Oh, you got <laughs> Love and pray for your enemies. I thought this was more, it takes faith to do that. When people are out to get you and you're on your knees, God, I pray that you bless them and be kind and gracious to them and have mercy upon them. Take faith to do that. You're trusting in God that he will be your vindicator. He will be your protector. You don't have to work it out. Take faith to do that. It's a test of attitude and heart, whether we're going to follow Christ or not. Serve others and you will be served. Are we going to bully and bush and barge our own way? Or are we going to serve others like Christ, who says the greatest is the servant of all? It takes faith to do that, doesn't it? Yes. The last, be last and you'll be first. Sacrifice your life for Jesus and his work, and you'll receive a reward in this life and the life to come takes faith and trust. That's what it looks like to live for Jesus, to live through this challenging life and see the challenges as tests and our opportunity to live like Christ trusting in our Father. And that he will work it all out in us and through us for our good. And if you live like this, and if I live like this, God will not fail you. When I was a Christian, an early Christian, oh, 40, 40 years ago, this happened. As a young man, 20 years old, I received my first prophecy. And somebody prophesied over me, and they sensed that God was saying something to me. And all I can describe it was. More than just hearing words, it was an experience where the words literally were like sweet as honey. I know the Bible says your word is sweet as honey, but I, it, it, it was like sweet, sweet. It was the most unusual experience, but I knew God was speaking to me. And this is, this is what he said. Rest in me. Do not strive. Trust me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. 
in all your ways submit to him. He will make your pathway straight. In those 40 years, I've had many challenges like you have. Many scary moments. Huge faith challenges. Sometimes people challenges. Sometimes, as you know, health challenges. Financial challenges. Tasks that I just feel too big for me to be able to complete or I am just not equipped or competent to be able to do what he's asking me to do. In fact, I live like that most days. <laughs> but I've discovered one thing. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in your own wisdom, but trust in God and do what he says and he works it out. And every time I've ignored that advice, that's when it's gone pear-shaped. And every time I've chosen it, that's when it has worked out. And I know that you've had your tests as well. And here's some of the tests that you and I will face. And I am wrapping this up now. I'm just going to hit the headlines. Watch out for these ones because you might be in one right now. A faith test. Oh, I've really got to hang on to faith for this. You know God has spoken, asking you to something, but it's taking faith. A time test. It's a long time coming. And it's past the 11th hour, but it's a long time coming. A time test. A betrayal test. You feel betrayed. What are you going to do when you're betrayed? Give up on humanity. Put your guard up. Become suspicious. Become untrusting. Back off. A betrayal test. A submission test. Submission test is when you're under somebody's leadership or authority and they're not asking you to do something wrong or sinful or criminal. It's just you don't agree. And says so submit to one another. Now it doesn't mean go do sinful things and wrong things and corrupt things. But where there's, if, if you if submit, to, submit to one another, submission test. You might not agree, but submit. It's a, it, I live like this. Wilderness test. You're in the wilderness. Yes, you're in a dry time. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's not a lot of provision. Yes, it's a slog. Yes, the heat's on the back. A wilderness test. A rejection test. You feel re rejected by people. A slanderous test. People are slandering you. A financial test. You just don't seem to have enough right now. How are we going to make it? A power test. How are you going to use your power? Everybody's got power. It might be in a relationship. It might be in a job. How are you going to use your power? You're going to use it to serve people? Or you're going to use it to self-serve? How are you going to use your power? Great a great opportunity test. Oh, this is too good an opportunity to say no. But if it compromises your integrity or it disadvantages others so that you can take it, you take it at other people's cost, how are you going to use your opportunity? The moral test, the loyalty test, taking things into our own hands test, the shortcut test, oh, I don't want to live like this, I just, there's an easier way. Yeah, there are easier ways. The circumstances are all against me tests, so I'm not going to do it. We all have tests. But the secret to seeing the hand of God and his faithful work, faithfulness at work in your life is to stand in the test, trust him and his word, despite the circumstance. And on that day, when Jesus hung on the cross, the day turned to night, the sun stopped shining. The circumstances against him were overwhelming. 
But Jesus said, Father, I trust my spirit into your hands. Quoting Psalm 35. And from that psalm, a little song had been written many years ago. We used to sing it many years ago. And it says this, Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my circumstance enemies triumph over me. There's only one thing that God requires of you. And that's to listen to him. Put your faith and trust in him. Live by what he says by faith. And you will know his blessing. And his transforming power. In every circumstance and trial of your life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that every difficulty is an opportunity for you and us and us and you. We want to thank you that when we, in our own eyes, don't seem to measure up to the task or the test very well, you don't stop helping us, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, you continue to provide for us, you continue to give us another opportunity, you bring an opportunity around again and we get a second shot. I want to thank you that there's no dead ends with you, there's no sin bin, we're not rejected. Like the prodigal son, we can run back into the father's arm any moment of the day. And just start again. And you love that. Because you're not like us. Your love is infinitely purer and better. And I want to thank you for all that your son Jesus did on the cross. What a man, what a God, what an example. And thank you that he lived it out in obedience to you to the bitter end. And now because of that, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And death will never subjugate him again, for it is now under his feet. And for that, we give you praise. Amen.